Hello, what's going on everyone? Welcome to the Blue Jays TOT cast brought to you by tipthetower.com. I'm Crystal Kranitz, and on today's podcast, I'll be taking you guys through everything Blue Jays. We'll talk about the weekend review that was with their series against the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Seattle Mariners. We'll talk about Drew Storm pretty much getting released by the team, um, go through some stats, preview the Padres series a little bit, talk about Jose Bautista's return, and some of the trade rumors that are flowing around the Blue Jays world right now. I'm recording this on Sunday, July 24th, so it's only fitting that we open up with today's one-hit gem from the Blue Jays pitching staff, led by J.A. Happ and his 13th victory this season. Um, what a surprise J.A. Happ's been this year, but it's been great to watch him pretty much dominate anybody who's gone against. And I don't think anybody expected this to enter into the season, but here we are. J.A. Happ's in with a career-high 13 wins, overall 13-3 record. You know, today he danced around some trouble. He had four walks, six Ks, but for the most part, he was... Pretty damn good once again. Went six innings of one-hit baseball, then the bullpen took care of the rest when you had uh, Cecil, Grilly, and Osuna come in and literally shut it down, pitching the last three innings there, racking up four Ks. Add in Edwin Encarnacion's solo home run in the fourth inning, and that was all the Blue Jays needed. That was his 27th of the year, which puts him in sole possession for third place all-time on the Blue Jays' home run list. That in itself is a huge accomplishment. Um, congrats to Edwin on that. The series as a whole, though, against the Mariners here, it it had its ups, it had its downs. It was kind of bizarre in a sense where the Blue Jays pitching wasn't very good on Saturday. R.A. Dickey, Jesse Chavez, uh, everybody got torched. Everybody got rocked around the park, and it it wasn't pleasant to see. A lot of fans were pissed off with the bullpen and the way they were pitching. Then you look at Friday night, James Paxton came out and threw an absolute gem. He probably threw his best game of the year, so you got to tip your cap to that. Maybe a little extra juice pitching against a team that he got drafted by that didn't sign him, so... Maybe that was a little little bit extra motivation there for Paxton. But either way, the series kind of was up and down there. Um, we also had Russell Martin, who got hurt on Thursday. He went down with an injury that he suffered in the shower of all places, uh, slipping, well, more passing out from after he was in the sauna for a little while. So that was interesting. You can add that to one of the long list of bizarre baseball injuries. It sounds like he'll be back shortly, though, so that's a promising sign for the Blue Jays. And... Thankfully, the MRI revealed no structural damage, so that's another big bonus. Let's just hope this is just a one-time scare and he can get right back to being Russell Martin, so that'll be great for us. You look at the beginning of the week with the Diamondbacks series. They went there for a two-game miniseries, and they swept the D-backs. Edwin Encarnacion mashed the ball as a whole. The Blue Jays absolutely tore the cover off the ball. Um, They kept the trend of destroying lefties as they rocked Patrick Corbin on the Wednesday there, beating them 10-4. On the Tuesday, 5-1 victory. I mean... They, what, what more can you ask for from the Jays in terms of what they did on the West Coast there? Obviously, they had their struggles with the Mariners, which we saw on Friday and Saturday. But aside from Saturday's blowout game that was pretty much an albatross from the pitching, it wasn't that bad of a series. There was a lot of good baseball by both teams, and that's what you want to see, right? You want to see two good teams go at it, and even pitchers dominate like we saw Paxton do on Friday and Jay Happ do today on Sunday. So that's just the way baseball works sometimes. you got to tip your cap to it and applaud two pitchers that actually threw gems of games. Now each week we're going to try and encapsulate the week through certain stats and things that uh, I may dig up through mindlessly searching through box scores and stats that wouldn't interest people, but for some reason it always seems to interest me and I get lost in them. Or things I've seen on Twitter where we'll say courtesy of and hat tip to people, but consider this my way of kind of putting the week into perspective or we'll call it a stats attack or beyond the box score. We'll find a clever name for it later on, but we're going to go through some stats here and kind of get people to be aware of some things that might be going on with the Jays that they may not have known. So we'll start with Troy Tulowitzki. Has he ever been on a terrace to come back from the DL? He's on a nine-game hitting streak right now, and he's batting three twelve since coming off the disabled list. I think for a lot of people out there that were criticizing him before the year started, 
you got to be really happy with finally seeing the resurgence of Troy and the superstar that we grew accustomed to seeing in Denver. So to see this all happening now, it's it's awesome. Moving on to Michael Saunders, this week he hit his eighth home run off a left-handed pitcher. That ties him for third among left-handed bats in Blue Jays history for a regular season. So he's got eight home runs off left-handed pitchers in this season. That ties him with Carlos Delgado, and that stat comes courtesy of Brennan Kennedy of the Toronto Star via the Toronto Blue Jays PR. Moving on to Aaron Sanchez. This week in Arizona, he had another great start. It was actually his 10th start with one of fewer earned runs. So, man, Aaron Sanchez. A lot of controversy around him being moved to the bullpen pretty soon. It's they, They've said it's going to happen. A lot of fans are debating over it. I'm sure that debate will only intensify as we draw more near to his innings limit. But until then, keep throwing these gems, Aaron. Looking at Sunday's win over the Mariners, that was the Blue Jays' first win this year with scoring two runs or less this season. So now they're 1-23 total on the season when they score two runs or less. That stat comes courtesy of Ali Khan Ravajani from the Toronto Blue Jays beat with MLB.com. He's always posting a lot of great stats on his Twitter feed and all that, so I highly encourage you guys to follow him on Twitter. Another stat to just close it out here was uh, Jason Grilly, man. Coming in the eighth inning, just shutting things down, kind of getting the ball, passing it on to Roberto Osuna. What an awesome surprise and a great story Jason Gurley's been. Since coming over to the Blue Jays, he owns a 2.16 ERA. He's got 26 Ks and 16 two-thirds inning pitched, and, and he has 14 scoreless appearances to his name. Um, when you compare that to his 5.29 ERA he had with the Braves, it's a night and day difference. And I think you got to go back to what his old manager, Clint Hurdle, said with the Pittsburgh Pirates when he uh, commented on how he thought Grilly would do in Toronto, and he said, this guy is just a gamer. This dude always elevates his game in the big moments, and we're seeing that again in Toronto where he's playing on a competitor, and it seems to have rekindled this fire on him, and he's just back to the old Grilly that we saw where he's not only racking up Ks, but he's he's finding ways to get outs, and that was something that he did in Pittsburgh when him and Mark Melanson formed that awesome one-two punch a couple of years ago, and hopefully he can keep this going, and it's not just a short-term thing, but in the meantime... Enjoy the resurgence of Jason Grilly and enjoy those awesome celebrations he has on the mound for what seems like every single out he throws a great celly. So that's kind of the five stats for this week that I'll leave you guys with that uh, encapsulate the Blue Jays, their week that was, and just some interesting tidbits of information that I felt like I would uh, pass along to everybody here. Staying with the bullpen for a second, though, there's some big news on Sunday in regards to Drew Storen, who has been a nightmare for the Blue Jays this season. you got to feel for this guy. He just has not been able to get on track. And the Blue Jays decided to designate him for assignment on Sunday and called up Ryan Tepera in his place. So now the team has 10 days to trade him or release him. So it is the end of the Drew Storen era in Toronto. It's very short-lived. Um, they trade him in the offseason for Ben Revere. I know that kind of ruffled some feathers. It was a bit of a controversial trade because the Blue Jays traded a bona fide leadoff man and an outfielder. In exchange for a bullpen arm, personally, I thought it was a great deal for the Blue Jays. It filled the need and traded something they had a surplus of. It also allowed the emergence of Michael Saunders. I mean, if Ben Revere was still here, is Michael Saunders what he is today? I don't think so. I mean, I think he'd still be behind or they would have traded him. Either way, on paper, the Drew Storen trade looked great when we first did it. Um, John Gibbons echoed the same thing. Here's what he said, courtesy of MLB.com. He said, I love that trade when it was made. It allowed us to put Aaron Sanchez in the rotation. And, you know, we're getting a proven veteran reliever who has had a lot of success. You read his bubblegum card, and it's pretty good. There's not a lot of guys that can match that. It was just one of those years where it never really clicked. But he was very professional and showed up every day. It probably would have helped if I pitched him more consistently, but that's not always the way it works. So we wish him well. So Drew Storen and his 98 career saves are now out of Toronto. It's disappointing, to say the least. I mean, you look at when he came here, this was a guy that 
Okay, maybe he wasn't going to beat Osuna for the closer's job, but at the very least, he would have been that eighth inning guy to pass the ball on to him and provide some veteran leadership into what was a young bullpen at the time. But it's been anything but that. I mean, <laughs> you look at this season for him, and God, has it been terrible. He's pretty much boasted an ERA over five every month, and it's just, it's been disappointing, and it kind of goes with his roller coaster career. Mark Zuckerman covers the Washington Nationals for the Mid Atlantic Sports Network. He tweeted an awesome stat about Drew Storen, which kind of encapsulates how much his career has been up and down. From 2010 to 2012, Storen boasted a 2.96 ERA. From April 2013 to July 2013, he had a 5.95 ERA. From August 2013 to July 2015, he had a dominating 1.34 ERA. And then you go from August 2015 to today, and he boasts a 6.6 ERA. So he goes from good to terrible to flat-out dominating to, once again, terrible. And this time, the terrible is pretty much unbearable for the Blue Jays to the point where they've had to release him. And when you look at something that changed for him back in 2013-14, that offseason, it was his new analytical approach. He said that he talked to Mariano Rivera at the All-Star break that year and was kind of picking his brain and asked him to show him how to throw his cutter. This is something the Washington Post wrote about years back during that season, and they said that Storen asked Rivera for advice on how to throw that cutter to help his game get back on track and become dominating again. And Rivera said to him, you don't need my cutter. Just throw your stuff. Throw what made you great. And Storen said that really changed his approach and made him think that, hey, I need to go back and do what made me great. So he decided to take a really analytical approach and analyze things like pitch effects, arm slot, and he ended up changing his mechanics. So one of the things that was really well documented with him is that he changes stiff long leg delivery to this quick leg delivery. Um, he also changes arm slot a bit. So he was never an over-the-top guy, but he changed it to a more three-quarter where his arm would kind of angle out a bit, which would change the, the viewpoint of his ball, especially to left-handed hitters. And it was something that really helped his numbers. I mean, Brooks Baseball had their heat maps, and you could just see that guys were having a more difficult time hitting Storm, in particular his slider. His slider ended up becoming one of the most devastating pitches in baseball from any reliever and actually... Aside from Clayton Kershaw, it was one of the best sliders in all of baseball amongst pitchers. So to see him kind of fall off the wagon here and literally not be able to do anything, he just digs in the box and guys are ripping him. It's it's sad. Storm's a Stanford grad. He's a smart guy. He's not afraid to take an analytical approach to try and rejuvenate his game. And I think he's a very savvy pitcher overall. And the way that he's kind of stayed a professional through all of this, and like Gibbon said, he may not have got as many opportunities as he would have liked in Toronto, but at the same time, when he was given opportunities, he just struggled. And if if you're Gibbons and the Blue Jays, how could you give him opportunities when he just kept getting rocked? So it's disappointing because when you look at the way he approaches everything, especially with himself and his self-evaluation, you really hope that this guy would turn around and become an integral part of the Blue Jays' bullpen. You look at before they acquired Jason Grilly, the hope was probably, by the sounds of it, if they knew Aaron Sanchez was eventually going to go into the bullpen, to have a bullpen of Cecil, Storin, Sanchez, and Osuna. Those four guys would have been what propelled the Blue Jays down the stretch here and carried them through the postseason. And when you look at that on paper, that's devastating. It's one of the better bullpens you could possibly have. And now with Drew Storin out of the picture, obviously Jason Grilly replaces him. But it kind of sucks because the Jays traded Ben Revere and they really got nothing in return except for a guy that took a flyer on, and it just didn't pan out. That's the risk, obviously, when you trade players, is you never know what you're getting back in return fully, just what you've seen. And what the Blue Jays got, I don't think anybody would have expected him to be this bad. Like, maybe he'd be not quite what he was in previous years, you know, maybe not what he lived up to at the beginning to middle of last season before the Nationals acquired Papelbon. 
but you hope to at least be something around those lines, like something close to it. And it was just, it was never there. And I got to admit, I'm disappointed it didn't work out because I thought it was a great trade for them. But unfortunately, that's the way it worked with Storin. So the Blue Jays are moving on without him. Shifting gears to the week ahead now. The Blue Jays will welcome the San Diego Padres to the Rogers Center for a three-game set that starts on Monday and will end on Wednesday. They get the day off Thursday, and then they'll welcome the Baltimore Orioles into town for a pivotal three-game set that runs from Friday to Sunday. With the Jays sitting three games back in the AL East, obviously this is going to be a big series. Um, We're already scoreboard watching, so this will only enhance that because now it'll be a head-to-head game, and it was something last year that the Blue Jays their head-to-head success, particularly against the Yankees and the Orioles, really helped them win the American League East. So let's hope for more of the same there. But an interesting storyline obviously has to do on the trade front with the way the rumors are floating around that the Orioles and the Blue Jays are competing for the services of Melvin Upton Jr., formerly known as B.J. Upton. Uh, he's having one heck of a season with the San Diego Padres. It's been a rejuvenation for him. He's not the only player that has been linked to the Blue Jays and the Orioles, though. Starting pitcher Andrew Kashner is also a name that we've heard linked to both teams, so... He'll start at the Rogers Center on Tuesday. It'll be interesting to see how he fares. The Blue Jays scouted his start last week against St. Louis and were impressed. Whether he did these players as a realistic option is tough to say. I know Ken Rosenthal reported the interest of both teams, so obviously his sources are as good as anybody in baseball. I mean, he's pretty much, him and John Heyman are pretty much the Adam Schefter, Ian Rapport of MLB, so what they say generally has some legs behind it, so I'd imagine this interest is somewhat real. I don't know how feasible it is. I mean, I wrote about why the Jays should be cautious in regards to kicking the tires on both Kashner and Upton Jr. Obviously, Upton's having a great season. He's batting 259, 307, 444. That's his triple slash. He's got 16 home runs, 20 stolen bases, and he's a legit 30-30 threat every year. The problem with him, though, is his strikeouts. He strikes out at a career 26.5% rate. That's pretty high, but with a player like him who doesn't necessarily provide you gold-glove defense in the outfield, it's just average or above-average at best, is that something the Jays can really add to a lineup that already has a lot of strikeouts in it? I mean, I don't know how he would necessarily fit. Also, from a financial aspect, he's owed $60 million over the next two seasons. Would that not mean that Michael Saunders or Jose Bautista or Evan Carnacion, one of those three guys probably won't be coming back then unless the team decide to up payroll? I don't, I don't know how he'd fit in here. I just feel like Melvin Upton is a weird fit for the Blue Jays, and I don't think he's somebody that they should go after, in my opinion. Andrew Kashner is a bit interesting because with Aaron Sanchez moving to the bullpen, they're going to need another starter. Whether that's going to be Drew Hutchinson or somebody else like an Andrew Kashner that they acquire, I think it's somebody worth kicking the tires on. Um, Kashner's in the last year of his contract, so he doesn't have any long-term commitment to him. I don't know if the Blue Jays were looking for somebody with term, but if they were, generally that would require you to give up more of your prospect pool or just assets in general. And when you look at their farm system the Blue Jays have right now, they have a surplus of outfielders. And unfortunately, two of the Padres' top five prospects, Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro, are outfielders. So what the Blue Jays could offer them out of their surplus, they kind of already have two guys that are MLB ready and should get the call up soon, so... I don't know what they would offer, whether it be a Sean Reed Foley or Connor Green. Those are two names that I know Blue Jays fans do not want to see them part ways with this, at this deadline. But they might have to if they want to get somebody good in return, right? I'm not saying give those guys up to go get a guy like an Andrew Kashner. But when you look around the league and you see what players are going for right now, I mean, you got the Yankees with their rumored fire sale to start happening. Uh, Julie DeCaro tweeted out tonight about... Them making not only Aroldis Chapman available, but Carlos Beltran, Nathan Eovaldi, Michael Pineda. Basically, anybody of value that they can part ways with, it sounds like the Yankees are more than willing to part ways with. So that's very interesting. 
But what's more interesting is the asking price of a guy like Aroldis Chapman. There's been a lot of reports circulating around Sunday night that the Yankees were not only asking for the Cubs' top prospect, Gleyber Torres, who is a shortstop they have right now in high A ball in Myrtle Beach, but they were also asking for a power-hitting outfielder, Jorge Soler. He kind of hasn't really worked out with the Cubs to the extent that they were hoping for, but he's still somebody who could pan out in the right environment. There was also reports in the middle of the week that they were asking for Kyle Schwarber. Either way, these are three players that are considered top-notch prospects, and I don't know whether the Blue Jays have somebody that can match that. I'm not saying they're going to go after Roldis Chapman, but when you look at the other names available as starters, potentially a guy like Chris Sale, obviously with what happened over the weekend and his whole uniform fiasco, and I'm sure there's other things that have happened as well there. They say it's blown out of water, but either way, the trade rumors are only going to pick up with him now. I don't think he's somebody the Blue Jays can acquire because it would cost a lot. It would cost a ton. And when you consider what other players are going for, I don't know how they would make that work. Another guy like Sonny Gray, same case. It would just take too much prospect depth for the Blue Jays to part ways with, and they don't have that kind of depth to part ways with anyways. So I think you can scratch off a lot of the big names when it comes to the Blue Jays, which is disappointing to fans. That's not what they want to hear. But when you look at the long-term outlook of this team, it makes sense. But even for guys who are not household names, like in the world as Chapman, look at what Mike Montgomery went for. The Cubs just gave up one of their better prospects in Dan Vogelbach for Mike Montgomery, who is a pretty damn good left-handed pitcher and under team control until 2021. Either way, it took a high-level prospect like a Vogelbach to go and get just a left-handed pitcher like a Montgomery. Obviously, the team control helps up his value a bit, but and Vogelbach is blocked by Anthony Rizzo, but at the same time, that gives you a pretty good indication of what arms are going for in this market, and that is not cheap. Even look what the Red Sox gave up for Brad Ziegler, Aaron Hill, Drew Pomeranz. They parted ways with some top-notch prospects. So if the Blue Jays are going to go out and acquire an arm at this deadline, whether it be a top-notch reliever or a starter, they're probably going to have to part ways with a Dalton Pompey, Anthony Alford, maybe even Rowdy Talese, like prospects that I don't think they'd want to part ways with. Obviously, guys like Richard Arena. Um, Connor Green, like I mentioned earlier, these are guys that you want to keep within your system. But if you want to land the big names, these are also players you have to consider parting ways with. And based off everything Shaparo and Atkins have said throughout this season, it doesn't sound like they want to do that. So I think that might lead to a quiet deadline for the Blue Jays. And I know that upsets fans because, you know, they want this team to go out and acquire a player to help put them over the top. But what happened last year with Troy Tulowitzki, David Price, Mark Lowe, LaTroy Hawkins, all those names the Blue Jays acquired, that's not a normal trade deadline. That was one for the ages, and I don't know if we'll ever see that again in Toronto Blue Jays history. So cherish that one. But realistically for this one, I think given the asking price of what is going on out there, it's going to cost the Blue Jays a lot, and I don't think that they're willing to pay the price to go get players. They're going to help make a difference. I think we might see them make one or two small transactions, but that'll be it. We'll get into that more though in the coming weeks. In the meantime, we're going to close this episode off with the return of Jose Bautista. The 35-year-old outfielder spent the weekend in AAA Buffalo where he admitted to the media that he was less than 100%, but he did feel that he could contribute to the team, which is why he's coming back to the Blue Jays. I know some people are against the idea of not coming back until you are 100%, but this is a guy who has kind of earned his stripes with the Blue Jays and proven that he can play at less than 100% health, and given his track record, I don't see why there's any reason to not allow him to come back. Over the weekend in Buffalo, there were some funny things going around on Twitter where some of the fans were complaining that he wasn't playing a full game. And, uh, of course, one of the biggest trolls in the Buffalo news, Mike Harrington, especially, he's well-known amongst the Leafs fans as one of the biggest Leafs haters and anti-Toronto people in the Buffalo media. Um, He tweeted out that 
the fans were booing Bautista when he didn't really run out a ball in the eighth inning of Sunday's game and just took himself out of the game after. I hope they do realize that he's on a rehab stint, and he said that he's not 100%. And Mike Harrington was kind of saying that it's clear that something's wrong with Bautista, and he admitted that he's not 100%. Well, yeah, he's not 100%. He's admitted that. I, I hate to keep repeating that, repeating that part, but that's what it is. It's, it's nothing more than just that. So he's on a rehab assignment. He's going to take things easy. And I found it kind of comical how the fans were booing him. I mean, really? Seriously? Come on, guys. I know we live in a hot take world and a lot of uh, knee-jerk reactions are made, but that's just that's just petty in my opinion. He's on a rehab stint. Relax. I know you want to see him come and jack the ball out of the park and play like you've seen Joey Bats play, but it's a rehab stint. Keep that in mind. Looking at where he's going to fit in with this Blue Jays lineup now, I don't know if he's going to go right back to hitting leadoff for them or if they'll slowly ease him back into the three-hole and maybe put a guy like Devin Travis up at the top of the shop there and uh, let him set the table for this lineup. It'll be interesting to see where John Gibbons places him in and how much they play him now that he's back with the Jays. I'd imagine he'll get some more time DHing and they might make Encarnacion either take a day off or play first base. So that's something else to keep an eye on as well. And with the trade deadline looming and fans are debating or even mulling the idea of possibly trading Bautista to get something in return, Come on, guys. I, for one, am totally against trading Bautista unless the return you get is literally going to blow you away. And I'm talking an arm that can help you now and a prospect. Like, it's got to be a healthy, healthy return. If it's not, trading a guy like him would only ruffle the feathers of the locker room, potentially. And I know they're playing well without him while he's hurt, but let's not undervalue his leadership in the locker room, what he means to the city of Toronto, what he means to Blue Jays fans. I know some can make the narrative that the fan base has kind of turned their back on Bautista and some feel like the team can live without him. But at the end of the day, looking at what he brings to this lineup, he solidifies it. And the role he takes within the clubhouse and leadership and all the intangibles that you may not see in the box score, those are important. Yes, this is Josh Donaldson, Troy Tulowitzki, Russell Martin. It's their team. It's their team going forward. They're the future, obviously, with Bautista and Encarnacion only aging and those guys still relatively in their prime. It's their team. We all get that. But at the same time, trying to diminish Bautista's impact on this, not only this lineup, but this roster as a whole in this franchise, let's just keep that in perspective. And again, there's a lot more there than just what the box score shows. I'm not saying turn this into the Kobe Bryant, you know, legacy thing here where you keep him around and you just pay a guy for his past service. No, I, I'm totally against that. Looking at what like Pat Riley did with the Miami Heat where he let Dwayne Wade walk because he didn't want an aging asset. I get it. That's the business of sports. You're not here to make friends and have everybody have this perfect retirement party. You're there to win championships and build a winner. That's what your goal is, and I totally understand that part. But I do feel like Bautista can still help the Blue Jays do that, and keeping him around would only help their chances of winning a World Series this year. And if they lose him at the end of the season and they won a World Series in the process, so be it. Let's remember one thing here. Flags fly forever. And if the Blue Jays could get a banner... Whatever else happens after that with Bautista, it'll still hurt and it will definitely be a punch in the gut to the fan base if he was to leave. But the fact that they got a championship with it, it'll make everything better. And I feel like he has more than enough left to contribute to the Blue Jays. And I think the idea of trading him is just crazy at this point in time. Again, it would have to take a deal that would absolutely blow Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro away to the point where they're looking like they turn to Tony Lakov and they say, how do you say no? It would need to be something like that. If it's not that, this whole idea of training Bautista, just forget about it. 
The rumors are only going to pick up over the next couple of weeks as we near the trade deadline. And with the Blue Jays in contention in both the wild card and the American League East pennant race, they're going to be involved in a lot of deals. There's going to be a lot of stuff to sort through out there because you got to keep in mind that agents, teams, they will do whatever is necessary to help them gain leverage. So there will be faulty reports out there. Always remember to follow your verified accounts if you have push notifications on, all that good stuff. But just keep in mind, what you generally hear about early on in the trade deadline, it doesn't happen. It's the ones that come out of nowhere out of left field or these trades that develop really quickly and just go through. You don't hear about these things a week before they're going to happen. Very rarely. Very, very rarely. You hear about interest, but never the full details. So have fun with it, but be cognizant of everything you hear and use logic. If you hear the Blue Jays involved in like a Steven Strasburg rumor or some, I don't know, insert some ridiculous name here, use logic. We'll be keeping you up to date at tipofthetower.com with all the rumors and news and anything Blue Jays related coming up over the weeks. That'll wrap up this week's episode of the Blue Jays podcast. I'm your host, Chris O'Kranitz. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Kranitz. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Tip of the Tower. Be sure to like our Facebook page as well, at Tip of the Tower. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and our other episodes that we have going on, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And better yet, leave us a review. We love hearing the feedback. It helps us out. It makes us put together a better show, so we always appreciate that. Thank you for listening, everybody, and enjoy the rumors over the next couple weeks. Take care. Come